What's up, guys? We are back at it again for another episode. And we tried something a little bit new this time. We've been experimenting lately with different things, themed shows, themed series, uh, top 10 lists. Uh, we always love to do a lot of the different uh, interviews. But this time around, we brought back a guest who was just recently on. And part of the reason behind that was because well, we just enjoyed chatting with him. Another reason is we had we such a good response to his other episode right there. Um, you know, one of the things that we are so well known for so far in regards to feedback on the podcast has been the educational approach that we take. And so when we find a guest who's really good at breaking down information that we want to share, it's always nice to get that third party perspective. And so we always like to kind of bring those people back. And, you know, we're so fortunate for having had so many incredible guests to date. So we're excited to bring back Mr. Jared Hope. Uh, Jared, again, I'll, I'll let the last episode speak for itself. Again, check out the link in the bio. It is a must listen if you're going to listen to this episode. But he has uh, owned uh, hundreds of properties. Uh, it has a coaching company uh, and has recently launched a uh, top 30, under 30 or under 30 investment program, which is kind of neat. But today we asked him to come on. Uh, we have a lot of thoughts on the ways to set up your investment portfolio if you're just beginning or even if you are an uh, experienced investor. And we wanted to really just break down uh, five keys to considering getting started on building your portfolio. And again, you don't have to be a beginner investor to listen to this episode. This is certainly good for someone who's uh, started acquiring properties. Maybe they've got a plan and they just want to hear about it from a different perspective. What are five key things that you want to be looking for in that property that you're buying instead of just buying a condo or just buying a property for cash flow? Different ways to look at it. And so really good episode. You guys are going to want to listen to this. And of course, uh, if you enjoy the episode, iTunes would be your place to go to leave us a five-star review please head on over there because that is our only price for admission and entry and the second thing we'll ask for you if you're really digging this show tag us up on instagram find us on facebook but it's at the yvr remo show at thrive mortgage co on instagram follow us up send us a message send us a dm uh, it really means a lot guys to hear those messages from you now before we move on to our review of the week i want to really just make a quick little note if you have not yet checked out our youtube channel make sure to look up thrive mortgage co don't forget there's a, a u.s version that's similar thrive mortgage in the u.s but the thrive mortgage co account subscribe because we post a lot of video content there and a lot more than what you're hearing on here tips strategies feedback that you can't get anywhere else. Of course, uh, let's get on with the review of the week. These guys who give us a review are going to receive the, uh, the the pleasure of a Thrive mug along with uh, coffee from our favorite little roaster here in Fort Langley, BC called Republica. So this week's inter uh, review is from um, McKinley 2021. I've listened to this show for a lot of hours. I almost feel like a mortgage broker myself now. Very informative. Just closed the second deal of this team on my side. If you're buying a home or already own one, and are getting another, this is a must listen. So thank you so much, McKinley2021. I really appreciate your feedback. Glad that we were able to help you. I actually don't even know who this is, but this is fantastic. And we'd love to continue to help you out. Really appreciate the feedback. Really appreciate the review. Thank you so much. You've got a Thrive Mug and some coffee coming your way, my friend. Anyhow, folks, as I mentioned before, um, we are here for you if you have any other questions. Otherwise, enjoy this episode with Jared Hope. We'll see you on the other side. What's up, guys? You are listening to the YBR Remo Show, where we talk all things Vancouver real estate and mortgages, take boring topics, and make them interesting. Make sure to stay tuned to listen to everything you need to know how to put cash back in your pocket, create wealth in real estate, and simplify the complicated.
Hey guys, we're back at it, um, back at it again, and so quickly with our man, Jared. Um, Jared, unfortunately, we're not going to do another introduction today to who you are. You had a fantastic episode um, a few weeks ago, and if you're listening to this later, a few episodes ago, you guys have to go back for previous listening experience. Go check out the episode with Jared. He gave us a good backstory, a lot of good information about where he's from, um, and a lot of information about the market conditions and so forth. But today's uh, episode is going to be a little bit more topical, and it's something that, um, you know, obviously Dean and Derek and I usually talk about in the episode. Anyways, uh, Jared's been uh, nice enough to pop on the show and help really give us a roadmap for that you know entry-level investor to a few key topics um, in terms of how to get started what to look for uh, what types of areas and and so much more so we're gonna rattle through uh, four or five different key points that you're gonna start looking for as it pertains to you know beginning investors any investor like any investor should be looking at these things it doesn't matter if you're a beginner or not but we're, these are foundational pieces so without further ado welcome back mr. Jared Thank you for having me. No intro. This is, I'm, I'm nervous now. I'm all nervous. No intro allowed. You're like straight to it. You guys got to know who he is. And you got to get that listening in if you haven't done so. Get out of here and go back and check it out. So, um, so Jared, thank you again. Of course, uh, I've got Dean with me here today. What's up, Dean? Doing well, man. Fantastic, as we always are. Um, hey, we're going to dive right into it. So, um, but first of all, Jared, you gave us this list of your founda- foundational pieces as far as what investors need to start looking at and what are the different categories or areas of, of um, you know, looking for a property they should consider with. How did you come up with this list of four or five different ideas? It's really just experience, you know, like I, I've been on stages all across the country for years and I've been teaching it and I see people kind of flying in and just randomly buying a house. They don't actually think past, I'm just going to go buy a house. Like they don't think four or five, six years, they don't down the road, they don't think what happens in a downturn, you know, what happens if the market shifts, like no one thinks like that. And so it's just a list of just things I see every rookie investor, whether that is 25, 26 or 35, 45, 55, like when they're just starting out, I see these mistakes happen all of the time. Awesome. Yeah, no, it's a a solid list. Like I want to jump right into it though, man. Like let's just rattle through this and, and um, we'll work in chronological order of the the ideas that you brought up. But I think the biggest thing right off the bat is something that no one thinks about. And I saw you post this shout out to your Instagram page there. Um, Hey, what's the handle for your Instagram, by the way? Uh, Jared and Krista. There we go. Jared and Krista, check that out. Uh, you guys posted about this recently, which is your te- your tenant profile and the kind of tenant that you want. And honestly, it's the same thing in our business as far as what types of clients and people we want to work with at the end of the day and thinking about that first. So we talk about running your real estate business, in this case, your uh, investment property as a business. Um, talk to us about this. Like, How does someone even go about figuring out what kind of tenant they want to look for and why is that important? So this all started back in 2003. I, when I bought my first house, I had no idea what I was doing. I was following some agent who told me to buy in this certain area because it was the cheapest and it was the best place to buy. And what I found out was it was the cheapest and it was absolutely not the best place to buy because my tenant profile was shit. Now, the tenant profile was perfect for the area, but I actually I thought I wanted I, – well, I knew I wanted a different tenant profile than that house was actually giving me. So I actually bought my first three or four houses like that, where I was listening to these other people telling me where to buy and I was buying it, expecting a different result. So after about number five, number six, I came up with this, you know, this simple, it's a simple strategy. It's just go shop where I want to buy, you know, so when, when, and what I mean by that is, you know, if I was buying an area X 
and that's the area I thought I wanted to buy in. I'd do some, I'd do some recon before I bought there. I would go, you know, if I lived on the other end of town, I would drive to where I wanted to buy because I didn't necessarily want to buy where I was living. I wanted to buy in an area that gave me the best return for sure. So I would go shop at the Safeway. I would go, you know, if I was wanting a coffee, I'd drive to that end of town and buy a coffee. I would walk the streets at 10 in the morning, 10 at night, 2 in the morning. Uh, I would, uh, you know, ride my bike or I'd, if I was taking the dog for a walk, I'd take my dog for a walk in that area. So what I was doing was I was researching the tenant profile. I was seeing who lives there. Was it a shopping cart community? Was it a low-income community? Was it a middle class? Was it an upper end? What kind of cars were there? And then as you walk a dog, walking a dog's brilliant because dogs always stop to smell other dogs' bums. So as, you're, as the dogs are sniffing each other, it's a great opportunity to strike a conversation with the person that is on the other end of the leash. So then I'm just, because you got to understand the area, because the tenant profile, you know, a lot of times people buy a, a house in an area that doesn't attract a doctor or a lawyer or an accountant or a upper end clientele, but they think it does. So then they buy the house and now they're screwed because they're not getting the results that they want. So I thought on that right off the bat is, is like, how do you even build out a tenant profile? Like, how do you, how do you start there? Because I mean, there's probably many good tenant profile opportunities in, you know, doctors may not actually even be the best tenant profile. Um, maybe, maybe they are, but like, how do you even start to like form that understanding of who should I rent to? Like, what's an ideal, uh, profile look for? A lot of that's just writing down and, and seeing, you know, like walking, like I say, walking areas and walk, walking communities. And, you know, but a lot of it starts with your down payment too. Like, you know, if you have only $40,000 for a down payment or $80,000 for a down payment, you can only buy X amount of a property. So if you can only buy a $400,000 property and that $400,000 property is a low income housing and your expectation is a middle class tenant that makes 80,000, like it's almost like creating an avatar. You know, you, you like we have an avatar for tilt in my management company. We have an avatar for our coaching clients. Like we're crystal clear on what we want for those types of clientele. We also have an avatar for every single property that I've bought. I have an avatar and I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say that. Every property I buy now, I have an avatar. Here's the tenant profile, 30 to 40 years old, young couple, couple young kids, small pet. So that means I need a yard. I need to be close to a school. I need some parking. Uh, I need to be close to Starbucks is 30 to 40 year old. They love to drink Starbucks. Uh, they don't want to be around like, you know, they don't typically drink McDonald's coffees or Tim Hortons coffees. Some will, but my avatar of my tenant will drink a Starbucks. So I think where people have to start is they don't start with the house. They have to create the avatar of what it is that they want for the tenant. And because the, the truth is, I say this all the time. The truth is it's so easy to buy a house. It is so hard to buy multiple houses and have success because most people don't understand the avatar of their clientele. Good points. Yeah, I dig that. I, uh, so, so I mean, first and foremost, uh, make sure you have a dog so you can walk around and get dogs to sniff each other's butts. Borrow a dog. I used to borrow a dog. <laughs> yeah. It's just such a great idea just to like get to know the area, go for a walk, you know, especially at the, at the certain times you mentioned, like, what are the types of things you're seeing at 2 a.m. compared to 10 a.m.? It's it's going to be a different world, and that's where the you know that's where the people you don't want to be around come out, right? So it's oh, such a good point, guys. I get calls all the time from people from Vancouver who want to invest in Alberta in Edmonton, and they'll call me up and they'll be like, "Yeah, I just I just bought this property. 
uh, I'm from Vancouver or G- Toronto or wherever outside of Edmonton. And they're like, yeah, it's, it's in, uh, you know, it's on 107th Ave and 109th street, which is the hood. Okay. Like there's nothing but hookers and drugs and bombs. It's the hood. Probably the worst part of town. They're like, yeah, I got a great deal on it. And they're like, you know, and I'm like, well, what's the address? Da, da, da. I'm like, have you ever been there? And they're like, yeah, yeah. My agent says it's awesome. I was there in town at five o'clock and we went and checked out this place. I'm like, were you there at five in the morning though? They're like, no. I'm like, well, that place turns into the ghetto at about nine o'clock at night. There's drugs, shootings, uh, hookers on the corners, uh, drug deals on every corner. Like, is that your, like, if you put a tenant in there, they're gone in 30 days. Your tenant turnovers through the roof, stress levels through the roof. And they're like, oh my God, I didn't know that. No shit. Because a realtor is guiding them and a realtor gets a commission. Once the realtor gets the commission, they're gone. They're not giving it back. So it's, so it's really interesting to hear you say that because it's the exact same thing that actually some good real estate agents that we work with, so the good ones, I should say, um, actually advise their clients a lot of the time. If there's a client that's moving from an out of a city area or out of the neighborhood and they don't know an area, they always say like, hey, like, go there um, off hours, go there at different times, like drive there during your normal rush hour and check it out, see what it's all about. Um, and like you said, go to the coffee shop and whatnot. So that's that's awesome. And I think that was a good thing that we started off with that because I think that honestly, for the amount of client, I don't think of anybody but actually say that to me when they're buying an investment property. Hey, what does it look like in that area? Not that they would ask me that per se, but I don't think anybody's actually brought that up in their transactional point, which means it's not thought about enough. So that's a huge nugget. On MLS, you can, you know, there's little tabs. You can go type in the tab or click one of the tabs in, in any property in an area that's listed. And they're going to tell you the average age, the average income. They're going to tell you proximity. Like, there's a lot of great info on Realtor.ca, but just don't buy into that info. You know, like because that info, they take like a, a 20 block radius or whatever the community is. So there's there's a lot of little pockets in that little area that are different. And especially when you're buying in like the downtown core of a, of a, of a, of a city, I don't care what city it is. If you're buying in the downtown, that downtown core, a 10 block radius, can have five different areas you know some good some bad some troubled you don't want to walk in at night like that's easy to do so mm-hmm. taking the word of google which is awesome or a realtor you're right there's lots of good realtors there's lots of bad ones too nothing beats traveling to the property so before you remove conditions on a house go visit it if you're going unconditional do the homework before you put an offer be very careful with unconditional because you really don't know what you're going to get until you buy the house yeah I like that. And going and visiting the property is a key point, Jerry. Thanks for bringing that up here. We do actually talk, we have a couple of other uh, folks that we, you know, we, who buy a lot of investment properties. And, and that's one of the things that they always say, if you're buying out of town, just take the flight, uh, go there, check it out. It's worth your extra, you know, $200 plane ticket or $300 plane t- ticket. It's not that expensive to get up to Edmonton or, or the Okanagan or wherever the heck you're going, right? Like any location, uh, you know, and especially if you're putting down half a million bucks, like let's look and see what that's all about there. It's a huge investment. Um, you know, let's, let's, let's move on on this because we could piggyback on this. So, so that's number one is your tenant profile. Number two is about the area, which we're already talking about right now. Um, and so let's just build on that. You noted in here, obviously location, 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 and then tenant, tenant, tenant. Um, but we want a little bit, get a little bit granular here because we know that a lot of, especially after the last episode, you talked about loving the multi-unit, like up and down detached homes. Um, you know, but there's a lot of people who want to invest in different areas in different cities across the country. So when you're talking location, you know, uh, I guess there's probably two levels to that high level being city. And then maybe lower level being neighborhood. 
you know, what are your thoughts just generally speaking? I know it's a big question here, man, but like from a high level perspective, how does somebody pinpoint? Yeah, it's a great question. Like I would say macro, micro, the macro is the city. What city you invest in? You know, so it's like you want to look at areas that are going to be, you know, lead the country in GDP, gross domestic product. You want to look at uh, natural resources. You want, you know, like like oil, for example, or whatever the major sector is. Auto, auto in uh, in out in Ontario, um, tech here out in out in the Okanagan. There's a lot of tech stuff happening. The movie business, the movie industry is picking up a lot here in the Okanagan. So you want to look at the, whatever the big sectors are. The, are they in an upward swing, a downward swing? Uh, you want to look at immigration, net migration into, into the city. You want to look at job creation, unemployment. How do they compare to the rest of the country? So, you know, if the, if the unemployment rate in the country is 4.5% and the city you want to invest in is sitting at 6.8%, might not want to go there. If the country is 6.8% in the area you want to go in is 3.8%, you might want to look at investing there. GDP mm. growth is gross domestic product is a big, big indicator. That's the number one indicator that's going to decide if the city is going to take off or not, or an area is going to take off. So these are all macro. These are all macro, you know, from a helicopter looking in, here's, you know, there's some, some simple signals that are pointing. The mm. micro is like, you know, so that's when you get into different communities in the city. And that's where it's so important to understand your tenant profile. Like one of the things, um, and, and, and any tenant profile works to be totally clear. Like you could go buy, I got probably 20, 25 properties that would be low end. Like my rents are dirt cheap. My tenant profile is low, but that's my avatar. And those tenants work as long as you have the right property for them to live in. And, you know, they might not be, uh, they're tenant worthy. They might not be tenant worthy for like a $3,000 or $4,000 rental price, right? Their rental price is like $1,000. So when you get into the smaller, the area, the, the certain areas, it's like a lot of it's going to depend on what your tenant profile is. So I only buy within like a five blocks, eight block radius of Starbucks. I only buy uh, around schools who do not have hot lunch programs. Nothing wrong with a hot lunch program. I think it's a great system. It's just my tenant profile doesn't fit that mold 85% of the time. Those 25-ish properties that are low income, those are all around uh, Max's, 7-Elevens, because my tenant profile there drink Max coffee and 7-Eleven coffee. My tenant profile there have uh, subsidies for daycares. They all take buses or train systems for transportation. Parking is not a requirement. So I can buy a little bit denser properties, tighter properties, mm. you know, lower end stuff, right? So it's really important that when you fly into a city, you understand that certain areas have their challenges. You have to flush out what those are and and then say, is my tenant going to be bothered by those challenges? If they are, then you don't buy it because you're going to have high tenant turnover. And then that's going to create all kinds of headaches. When you're checking all these boxes, is there any additional value add that's maybe not a requirement for you, but it's like, hey, that's a ding, ding, ding. Like I'm going to maybe make something work. I'm maybe going to leave out one of these check boxes because this has development potential. In five years, maybe I could flip this for double the price. Or Does that ever... Yeah, yeah, I, lo I like uh, major road transportations. Uh, you know, I'm going to reference Edmonton because I, I invest a lot in Edmonton. So right now, if you were to take Edmonton as, you know, this, if you, uh, for those of you who can't see on listening audio, there's a circle. 
I'm holding up my hands in a circle and that circle is the Edmonton ring uh, hand day. So we have a hand day that goes around a uh, highway that goes around the whole city. So then if you were to take Edmonton and break it into four quadrants, North, East, uh, South and West or North, South, East and West, whatever that is. And then if you were to break that down even further and say, okay, where's the LRT light rail transit, our, our train system, we have a train system already running to the east. We have a train system already running to the southwest. We have a train system going straight uh, south. We have a train system going straight west. Now we have nothing in the northwest corner of the city, nothing at all. So I sit there and say, where is the train going next? Okay, well, the train has to go in the northwest section. They're not going to put another one anywhere else because it doesn't make any sense. So right now I'm buying specifically in the northwest city part of the city with the requirements of within a five, eight block radius of Starbucks, within a five minute drive to the Hende, close to shopping, uh, non-hot uh, non lunch school system or programs. So stuff like that, right? So I love roadways, I love potential. Um, you know, I'm not a big infill guy, infill guy. I think areas in transition, I think they can take a long time to get in transition. And I don't wanna be the first one or the first 20% of people in the area of transition. Because as that area transitions, there's all kinds of headaches that come with it. And to be totally honest, it's not worth it because I want to sleep at night. I'd rather have strong cash flow than have the headaches hoping for the home run in 10 years when that area finally transitions. And that's traditionally been kind of what we've seen a lot of in the Fraser Valley in the last few years where people are obviously getting in on the, the, the bottom floor and having some success as far as you know, purchasing pre-sale properties and so forth, which is a bit of a different conversation. Like That all works when the market is like this. When the market's going straight up, Everyone looks like a rock star and everyone looks like a genius. That's the truth. It's yep. when the market all of a sudden goes out, oh, it starts dipping. You know, like all, I'm reading all kinds of reports in the Okanagan right now. They're saying things are starting to slow down. First half of the year, the or, uh, once, yeah, for the first half of the year, the market's shooting up like this. And the last 30 days, the market started to taper off. And now they're saying that they're expecting a flat market potentially, depending on what you report you read. It's either going to be flat or it's going to be like one or two percent increases over the remainder balance of the year. So everything is great when the market's like this, but what happens if it flattens out or drops a little bit? So now you're buying on this hope of a transition that if the market shifts, that transition just ex extended its its timeline. And now you're okay. a lot longer. So I'm not saying don't buy it. I'm just saying be aware of all of this stuff when you go mm -hmm. into it. So now you can make educated decisions. Mm -hmm. Maybe uh, you buy a, a house in an area in transition that it is the second purchase, but your first purchase is what I call a big brother. It's one that can absorb a mistake if something were to happen. A big brother is like a suited house that cash flows a thousand dollars a month. You go buy a big brother, a legally suited house that has strong cash flow. You go take a, you want to go take a flyer on an area in transition. Something happens. If market shifts, well, this one can absorb any losses of that. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. Versus versus taking the money out of your pocket and paying for it after tax dollar, after you have to go work more to pay that bill. Like yeah. there's a way to insulate your portfolio that you're always protected with little risk. Are, are there any like exit strategies that you consider or is it always long-term cash flow? Like it, like an exit strategy would obviously be the development property, the transition transitioning area but is there any other exit strategy that you're considering as part of your checklist yeah a great question so there, that that's that's a question for someone who specifically invests in like vancouver in edmonton we don't really or calgary and alberta we don't really see uh those types of things happening because you know it's not like 
if someone's buying a three houses on a block and tearing them down and throwing up an apartment building in Edmonton. Like we just have so much land. We're so spread out. It just doesn't happen. Um, you know, but I'll answer your question this way. Every house I buy, I plan on holding it for eight years. And this, this actually goes back, back to the last point I actually had, which we, I'm going to touch on a little bit now. It's, I was going to say, don't, don't go too far down that road yet. <laughs> touch on it a little bit because if you, if you buy a newer type of property, you always have options to exit. If okay. you buy an older type of property, your options to exit become less. Because you right. might not be able to sell it in the down market because it's an older home. It, you know, it, someone's going to walk in and they're going to grind you on a price. If the market shifts, they're going to grind you on a price because it's not new. There's no wow factor. So if you're always buying the newer-ish homes, like under five years of age kind of thing, you'll always have something called wow factor. Factor, And what that is, is when someone walks into the house, you're like, wow, this is awesome. And wow, it's like, oh, the furnace is good. The roof is good. And the house could be 15 years old, 12 to 15 years old, but the person buying it won't factor in. They have to replace a furnace in 10 years. The roof has 10 more years life on it. They're not going to think like that. They're going to say, oh, it's still good. Mm. Where if you buy the older home, someone comes in to buy it. When you, if, if you ever had to transition out of it, um, they're going to come back and say, um, the, the roof, that's 10 grand. The furnace, that's 7,500. So since we're hopping into it, let's go all the way into it. So age of the unit, obviously. Mm. Uh, newer versus older. Um, you, you mentioned something five years old or younger. Obviously, the lifespan of the you know typical homes is a lot more than that. Um, I guess. So I guess what I'm trying to say is there's kind of like a one end of the spectrum being you know the younger homes, less than five years, as you mentioned. Then obviously older homes, probably something that's thirty to forty, maybe fifty years old, where a lot of the work has to be done. Is there a is there a happy medium where you've seen a lot of the work being done? Is it worth putting the money into a home when you find it? Like, what are the biggest concerns around age that need to be looked at if they're looking for something maybe a little bit older? So when I started, in, great question. So when I started investing years ago, I was I was taught to do nothing to it, like just lipstick, lipstick and rouge, change the light fixtures. You know, maybe a coat of paint, don't do anything to the basement, like very minimal stuff. And that actually worked back in 2003, 4, 5. It worked. However, that, that actually doesn't work today because tenant profile is so different. You know, like today, every single tenant wants granite. Everyone wants the new taps and the fancy lights and the timers and everything on auto on your phone. And they want, you know, everything's simple and, and new and nice. But And then they want it for cheap. So... You know, that's just the demographics of the tenant profile, how, how they've changed over the years. So I'm a big believer of always renovating at every chance you can, at every, at every opportunity. Because, you know, what I've learned over the years is, for example, in Edmonton, uh, Edmonton for the last, you know, year and a half, two years has been pretty flat. It's been pretty slow. And tenants don't, or sorry, clients don't have a lot of money because rents have actually shifted down a little bit. And they're starting to creep back up now, but they shifted down a little bit. So a client will come back to me and be like, oh, I don't, I can't afford to renovate it. So let's just lower the rent. I'm like, guys, find the money to renovate right now. Because right now, if you sit vacant as we renovate this house for three months, for example, you might lose $3,000. That sucks for sure. And you're going to do the rental. But if that, and then we rent that place out for $200 less, for example, if in two years or in a year, that tenant moves out and the market's hot. Now rent is $2,000 because that's what happens in Alberta. Rent's like literally double overnight. Now you're losing $2,000 plus that reno has gone up 20, 25% because labor is going to go up like that. And now 
it's going to take longer to re-rent the house if you don't do the renovation. Whereas if you do the reno now, it expires in a year. If the tenant moves out in a year, the market's hot, it instantly rents out because it has wow factor. Or in a year when the market shifts, if that tenant still stays there, we can crank up the rent. And I'm not talking 2% up increase. I'm talking five, $600 increase because that's what we can do in Alberta. But you just have a lot more, uh, there's a lot more pros to renovating earlier than delaying it to later. Your tenant so we, file goes up, your income goes up, your turnover, turnover goes down, your repairs and maintenance go down, your long-term success is, is, is huge. So we went, I mean, we went a little bit from, you know, looking at newer units to obviously I asked the question around like, at what point is it worth doing renovation? Um, I'm going to bring it back on track with regards to the age of the house or the unit. Um, I don't know if you dabble in stratified properties as well as detached homes as well. At that point, is you know, first of all, is there a big difference in what age you're willing to go with a stratified unit? Forgetting about the intangible. Dude, I don't buy anything strata. Uh, I just had a client uh, message me the other day, a brand new client sent me this text. He's like, hey, if you were to buy a condo uh, anywhere in Kelowna or in Edmonton, what, what, what area would that be? And I replied back, I'm like, brand new client. I'm like, I would never buy a condo. And he's like, why? I'm like, because they make no sense. You know, like I have 150 properties. One of them, I have a condo fee. One of them is a strata. And out of the 151 properties that I own, I have one, I have 152, one condo. The 150 other one units, my tenants shovel, my tenants cut the lawn, my tenants pay their own water, my tenants do their own cleaning, my tenants da, da, da. So why would I pay condo fees? All that does is eat out my cash flow. When tenants are going to pay it anyways, they're going to take care of it. I can't increase rents if condo fees go up. Like my condo fees can go up a hundred dollars just like that. When I can only raise rents two percent in Vancouver. Whereas in if if utility fees go up two hundred dollars, that's on the tenant. That's not on me. It doesn't impact my rent, and the tenants are going to pay that anyway. So. I love the question. I just don't dabble in condos. I don't touch anything with the strata. Uh, I never have, well, I should say that I have one. I would never do it again. So is there a break even point in terms of the age of a, a detached home that you would invest in or? I have lots of detached homes that are, you know, 1950 build, 1960 build, 1965 build. But what we're doing now is as they come up for renewal, we're renovating them, you know, because I bought them 15 years ago and now it's like, okay, they've lost that wow factor now. And, you know, maybe they all, or maybe they never had the wow factor when I bought it, you know, and we've been able to rent it out this whole time, but tenant profile has changed so much over the last 10 years. Typically what I find is tenants who rent out these single family detached houses or these single family homes, they're going to stay there five, six, seven, 10 years. They're, they're like, they typically don't turn over all that much. So, but when they do turn over, we have to fix the house because it, who was living in there is not the same tenant profile as what is coming. The new tenants want the granite. They want, they want, they want. So we have to give them product. Or, or we just lower the rent. But then so, the value of the house too, right? I'm just going to do a little recap here for anybody. Obviously, he's listening to gather all this information. So we, the tenant profile, 
obviously was the neighborhood and the neighborhood is obviously going to be looking at the location which location as you discussed you like areas that are already kind of set up to a degree we're not not future advanced you know dating what that area could look like one day sort of thing uh you know obviously looking at the age of the building and what what the factor is on your costs as well as uh, what types of renovations that you want to consider and um this all leads us to our our final point which you know obviously is the most important i think at the end of the day after you've figured out these factors but hey this is your bottom line which is your cash flow and determining what your cash flow is and how to determine that based on all of these other factors. And I think they obviously all lead together, or maybe you start with this one. Maybe you can even speak to that. Like where do you start out of all these things first and foremost? So the newer the house you buy, the, 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 the tighter the numbers can be. The older the house you buy, the looser the numbers have to be. Um, and what I mean by, and it might be actually, Actually, reverse after I explain it. So, you know, cash flow is your rent minus your mortgage minus your taxes minus your insurance. So, those are going to be your three pretty much set fixed prices for most of the year. And then it's going to be minus your uh, vacancy rate. Now, this is where people start budging their numbers a lot. Is they'll sit there and say, "Well, I'm going to manage it." And I'm going to impeccably manage it. And this thing is never going to be vacant because it's 0% vacancy in Chilliwack or in Abbotsford or in Surrey or in Kelowna. So they'll, instead of using a real, a a number of like 3% or 4%, they're going to use 0%. I would say always use two to 4%, no matter what city you're buying in. And because once again, it's always being, you're all, you're always trying to create a number that is like, Okay, here's the best case scenario and then or worst case scenario, I guess. And then anything else is crazy. So two to four percent for vacancy. The other thing that people start uh, skewing their numbers on is repairs and maintenance. So they'll sit there and say, oh, I'm going to do all the repairs and maintenance on this property. I'm going to do all the cleaning. But, and they don't actually understand what it is to go in and clean up a house after a tenant has left it or left it dirty and they want to hire it out. So. You know, so what people will do is they'll actually use two to four percent for repairs and maintenance. So I believe an older home that has no renovation done should have two repair numbers into it. One is eight to ten percent uh, of a, of a percentage every month taken off the rent that allocates to what I call low end repairs. And then if the home is older, then you have to assess the furnace, the roof, the windows, and the water tank and garage doors. And if all of those are, if 70% or three of those five are over the age of 15 years old, you want to allocate $5,000 minimum per item and set that aside in account. Because those are what I call long-term expenses. Furnace, for example, 7,500 to 10 grand. Water tank is two grand, 1,700 to two grand. And those actually have gone up like 20, 25% in the last number of months. To replace your garage doors, those are, depending on the size, anywhere from $1,200 to $2,000 for your garage doors. So you want to set those big ticket items uh, aside when you buy the house. And then property management would, would be the last one where people start fudging their numbers. Property management companies typically charge 10%. Most people will come back and say, I'm going to impeccably manage this. I'm going to manage it myself. And that all works fine and dandy at the beginning. So if you buy a house, and without management fees, you cash flow a hundred dollars. 
that means with cash, with management, you're cash flowing negative $300 because you got to pay someone to do it, which means the minute you want to transfer that property out to somebody else to manage, you've instantly lost money, which mentally you won't. And so that's the wrong way to play the game. So then you're going to keep it. And then it's just a mindset. Yeah. So, so like if you're to look back and say, okay, so we, like, again, you, you've probably figured out a location that you're interested in. Um, you've gone to a neighborhood, you've figured out the tenant profile, as we discussed, you have a general idea of the type of property or unit or age. Um, like, are you basically looking now? Okay. I'm, I've got three, uh, you know, maybe neighborhoods that I'm interested in or something of that nature. And then just, looking up rents on Craigslist or Facebook or like, what are you doing? I created this. It's called a ghost ad. I created it. Um, I don't know if I created it. Maybe others did it. But in 2005, I started doing this and I started sharing it on stages. So I don't do this anymore, but I did this all the time back in the day. And I'd encourage anyone to do this now. We do a version of it. It's a little bit different now though. Um, so if I narrowed it down to three three areas, three different houses, one over here, one over here, and one over here, I would go run three, four, five, six ghost ads, fake ads. And I would put up a, a, an ad and I would say, house for rent, here's the description, here's the picture, here's the rent. And I would ask like this, I would run another ad over here, I would ask this, and I would see where what kind of traffic came in. Uh, so, and some, then someone would email me and say, hey, or call me, hey, I'm calling your, oh, it's just got rented out. I'm so sorry, but I have another one coming up in 30 days. You know, are you interested? Yeah, yeah, I'm interested. Okay, great. So now what I'm doing is, one, I'm building confidence that my, I know what my rents are. And two, I'm building a list of potential clients that might want to buy it if I decide to remove conditions on this house or put an offer on it. It's a great strategy for people who go unconditional, for example, and they don't really know and they need a quick they they'll have to close quick and then they want to rent it out quick go run some fake ads before you throw the offer you like that's the best way to get to know the market because you can go research rent faster gotarent.com uh rent board all these other sites and to be honest that's all bullshit because right now we have about 17 to 19 places for rent for example in edmonton and we have about 45 ads running 45 ads so of those 18 real ads, 45 ads. So I have 20 some odd ads that are fake. So we're testing the market. We're seeing what's going on with the market. So if you're now researching the market and then you look at my fake ads, my ghost ads, you might be screwed because I, I might be marketing at 2200 when the real rent is 1600. So for example, if we have a place at 1600, we'll go hopefully it's just all landlords who get this and it's not tenants. So they know what I'm doing. But if we have a place at 1600, we'll go market three or four places for 18 to 1900 in the same area. So what we're doing is we're pushing traffic to this 1600 one. And then this 1600 one goes and then these fake ones go off the site. It's what somebody's going to pay, right? It's like, it doesn't matter. You go, you know, you go on Craigslist and you try and figure it out for yourself or all, all we know, there's a hundred ghost ads on there of other people doing the same thing you're doing. And it means it could technically mean nothing. So like, what is somebody going to pay? And that's the best way. And that's the best way to do it. And when someone calls, it's like, no, you know, sorry, that place has been rented out. Oh, I just haven't taken my ad down. Or yeah, no, I have a couple applications on it. Let me, you know, let me take your name, name and number. I'll let you know if things change. Oh yeah, that place has been rented, but I have another place coming up. Like there's so many, like it, it's, it's market research, you know, like that's how I look at it. You want to know what someone's going to pay for your product before you start bringing in the product. 
Mm. Well, Starbucks mm. does it. Uh, Nike does it. Uh, BMX does it. Like Porsche does it. Like they all do market studies to see what someone's going to pay. Why can't I do it for my own rental? Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I know the ghost. I think the ghost ad thing like is something that I, I'm aware of. We've we've heard of that before. Maybe not that terminology, but putting it almost like a test ad up. We tell our clients to consider doing that if they're renting out a property and they have no idea what it's going to rent for prior to closing. Um, you know, that's a, that's a big one. The, uh, the putting multiple ads out is really interesting and, you know, maybe different pictures or different addresses or just a general picture or something of that nature. That one's really interesting. Um, cause it really pushes someone to it, which is, um, yeah, I mean, I, I would, I would suggest. So here's a true story. I did this on Facebook. I ran a couple, uh, fake ads on Facebook and I mistakenly, I didn't know this, but I mistakenly used, a similar picture to another house and Facebook shut me down. So they legit kicked me off Facebook marketplace and I was off Facebook marketplace for like six weeks. I had to file all these reports and complaints and they had to investigate for me to come back on. And I'm like, Oh, sorry, it was a mistake because they have these algorithms that are watching all their shit. So don't use yeah. same, same pictures of, of two different properties. They'll, they'll collapse your account. 1984 baby they're always watching always watching that's some good that's some good stuff all right so um i you know again we've covered a lot of key stuff here so just kind of going back you know when we we walk through these different ideas someone's sitting here and they're like they think of the age and the neighborhood and my dog and holy crap facebook like what on earth is going on so if you were to jared if you were to kind of like start this conversation and you know looking back with the information that you have right now uh where would you tell someone to start like what's their square one starting point out of these different topics we just talked about i would start with no determining how much money i had to play with because that's actually going to be the start of the game so i have a hundred thousand dollars to play with okay that hundred grand twenty percent you know i can only buy a five hundred thousand dollar property or a you know four hundred five hundred plus thousand dollar property whatever i can buy so then from there i'd actually sit there and say okay half a million dollar property uh here's all the half a million dollar properties in the area uh, so then I start working backwards from there saying, okay, where's the best tenant demographic for my tenant? Okay. I want tenants who drink at Starbucks and I want tenants who, you know, shop at Home Depot's and stuff like that. So make a list of, you know, places your avatar would go and then start narrowing it down in those communities. Once you narrow it down to five or six communities, I would start walking the streets. I would walk the streets at five o'clock at night, two o'clock in the morning. I would shop at all of the local stores. I would eat out at all of those local restaurants. I would uh, like legit uh, have coffee and go to the library and shop in the malls. Like I would live there essentially. And I would do that mm. for probably about a month. And after that month, I would narrow it down to my top two communities. So now when a house comes up, there's no research. It's like, boom, I'm going to go buy this house. I know the tenant profile. I know the demographics. Before you actually go buy, I'd actually go look at the rents as well. What, like, what's the rental market doing? What's a typical house like this renting for? What's a typical, you know, uh, garage? What does that rent for? What's the tenant profile? How much do they make? There's lots of, like, I would actually start with some recon uh, on the communities to narrow it down to my top two or three. So that when a house did come, I, I find people, when they go to make an offer, they're, they're fearful, they're wishy-washy because there's, there's, they're missing a bunch of information which they don't actually know, they don't think they know until they buy the house. When I think they can actually go get all their information before they even put the offer on the house. They just, they just, they're just doing it backwards. 
it's exciting to hear that for somebody that's not ready to buy or doesn't have the down payment or is working on their plan. It's exciting because they can go do that recon now and feel like they're getting invested and getting involved in the game, so to speak, right? Number one, don't call up anybody. And I'm, I'm building a power team. Like, don't ever call me up and say you're building a power team. Like, just don't. Like, go do the research and then call me up and say, hey, I'm getting ready to buy a house versus I'm building a power team. So, like, there's things that you can do. It's, you know, without a realtor, without a property manager. Like, you know, like, like I say, you can, you can find your three or four communities. You can narrow it down. You can start identifying your, creating your avatar. You can start living where your avatar lives. You can start, you know, doing some recon on what market rents are, what house prices are. You know, and then you go to a realtor and say, hey, Mr. Realtor, uh, Mr. Mortgage Broker, Mr. Property Manager, I'm buying in this area. Here's how much it's going to uh, sell for. Here's what I'm buying it for. Here's what my target uh, purchase price is. Here's what it's going to rent for. Here's my tenant profile. Here you go, Drive. Here you go, Mr. Realtor. Here you go, Mr. Property Manager. Let's go. If someone came to me, I'd be like, oh, my God, this guy is serious. Versus, hey, I'm getting ready to buy. I'm building my power team. I'm just wondering, can I interview? No, you can't. Like, I don't got time for that. Yeah, I think I think at the end, of, <laughs> no, I think at the end of the day, uh, for most people, Jared, what uh, my experience has been that um, you know a lot of people haven't known where to get the information or haven't felt like it's been easy to access or have been feeling like it's been behind a paywall. And obviously, that's been changing over the last couple of years with you know content like this, which we're trying to get out to people and you know access to people like yourself and otherwise. Uh, and that's, you know, usually I, I'll get calls like that from time to time, just like, hey, I need to build this plan. I need to build this team. I'm like, well, we actually have to, you got you to gotta do a little bit of work here first. And the information is out there. It's readily available. I think they just need to hear it from someone like yourself who's in the weeds, who's done this to say like, dude, this is on Facebook. You can go grab this. Go to the neighborhood. Here's where it is. You know, try posting this. This is where this is. And you can do, it's not that difficult. It, it is a little bit of work though. Like, man, money's not free. So... You got to do some work to make it. You put in the time and the energy up front, it's going to make it so much easier down the road. You know, it's like, you know, I see it all the time. It's like people don't, not everybody, but a lot of people, you know, it's like they'll just take someone's word for it. And yeah. it's fine. Like, I don't trust a lot of people. And if anyone tells me to do something, I research before I go do it anyways. But there's a lot of people that will just take someone's word for it. And it's like a five, six, seven hundred thousand dollar investment. It's just like, whoa, 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 like slow down. Like, you know, like this is your house when you're done with it or when, the, when you close. So let's make sure it's the right fit for what, whatever it is that you want to do. And I actually think that every house that, and I shared this on earlier with you guys, I think everyone should be buying for eight year increments. You know, if you buy a house in year one in eight year, at, at year number eight, that house should be revisited to sell. I'm not saying sell it. I'm just saying at the eight year mark, it should be, you should look at selling because at the eight year mark, you would have bought it down enough to recover double your, your money. You would have got your original investment back. Plus you would have made double your, your, your down payment. So that's a good time to sell. But once again, that's an avatar of the property. You know, most people, they just buy a house and then they think they have to keep it for 25 years. And I just think that's the wrong way to play the game. It's like buy the house when it hits X, liquidate it. If it hits X at eight, number eight year, or it hits X at number five year, or it hit X at 15 year, that's fine. That's when you end the game. And Got it. It, it's the same thing with tenant profile. It's the same thing with quality of property. It's the same thing with area. Like, you know, so at the eight year mark, it, an area can shift in eight years. You know, like you might buy an area in an up and coming new community, but eight years later, that area is not an up and coming new community anymore. All those people, they're all starter homes and they've all moved out. 
and all of a sudden all the new people who've moved in maybe they're a different crowd and all of a sudden the area has changed so like you have to be reevaluating everything every eight years that's in my opinion yeah Uh, demographics of an area can shift you know every every seven to ten years easily um we, we see it happen everywhere all over lower mainland and all over well everywhere every single city you typically see these types of things happening especially in canada all you're doing is reevaluate. it's like oh, okay this still works well, i'm going to shift my tenant profile to match the current demographics of the area okay now it's going to work versus thinking you're going to get something else and it's producing a different result that's where all the frustration comes with people because they never reevaluate their business always man always 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 we're, we're going to stop you there you got too many nuggets so um that there, there's some good stuff Listen, um, Jared, we really appreciate you coming on, man. Um, I know you got your upcoming uh, under 30 uh, investing program. Uh, you got a couple other one-on-one coaching programs that you're doing. Uh, we'll put the links in the show notes. This is the second time these folks will have heard you in a little while. And we're definitely going to continue to do some good stuff together. Um, it, again, if you guys are enjoying uh, the information that Jared's giving, make sure to send us a DM. Let us know. You've been sharing a lot of stuff online, so make sure to follow him, follow us online, and and uh, we'll continue to give you guys some good content. So thanks again for joining us today, man, and enjoy the uh, rest of your day trying to fix your car. And <laughs> we'll see, we'll see how that goes. Okay, buddy. I love it. Thanks, guys. Thank you, sir.